Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5. We've been preaching a series of messages from the book of 1 Thessalonians entitled, Prepared for the Second Coming. We know that Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey as he preached in Thessalonica for three Sabbath days. And then there were so many people that got saved, there was an uprising against him. He had to leave the area, went to Berea, then he went on into Athens. And he was concerned for they still had faith. And he sent Timothy back to check on them. And Timothy brought back word. He said, Paul, they still have faith. They have love for God, love for the word, love for one another. And they're growing and they're, they're blossoming in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thrill that must have been. And then Paul began to write them a letter to be an encouragement. This is his first epistle of the many that he wrote in the New Testament. And tonight we're in chapter number five. And in every one of these five chapters, each chapter, he mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to chapter number five, we want to begin reading tonight in verse number 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So I believe tonight that in this message or in these verses, we're gonna see a church with a merative imperative. What I wanna say is, that the Lord in this chapter had Paul write imperative after imperative after imperative. There are more imperatives in 1 Thessalonians than I find in any other book. And it's amazing. What is an imperative? It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command. And all of us would be better Christians if we would put these imperatives to work in our Christian walk. Paul is not writing these because the church at Thessalonica is even deficient in these areas. He's writing these imperatives to encourage them, to be a blessing to them, if you will. When I look at chapter four, verse one, I notice the Bible says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren. When I look at chapter four, verse 10, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren. When I look at chapter four, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. When I looked at chapter five, verse one, but of the times and the seasons, brethren. Verse four, but ye brethren. Verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren. Verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto the, all the holy brethren. The word the brethren mentioned 10 times at least in two chapters. It's interesting. He's writing this, if we could say it like this and you get it, to family, to brothers, sisters in Christ, if you will. When you and I were born again, we were born of the same womb. We may not always like each other, but we're supposed to love each other. Amen? We're born of the same womb. He's 
right, he's got a family terminology. He's writing this to the brethren. This is written to me. This is written to you tonight. He, he didn't just say I'm writing it to friends. He didn't say I'm writing it to my associates. He said I'm writing this to my brethren. Amen. And in verses 12 and 13, he begins to lay out that we have responsibilities as a family. You have obligations one to another. A husband and a wife have obligations, responsibilities. Brothers and sisters have responsibilities and obligations to fulfill. Say amen. We have those in our lives. And so we see, number one, there's a responsibility to the shepherd. There should be a relationship in verse 12 and 13. There should be a relationship between the pastor and the people. Between the shepherd and the sheep. Between the pulpit and the pew. There must be a relationship. It should not be a divided relationship. It should not be a, a relationship of being an attack between one another. Let me say it like this. The shepherd will do better if the sheep are not trying to bite him. And the sheep will do better if the shepherd's not trying to beat them. If he's leading them to green pastures, if he's taking them to a place of still waters. Hey, sometimes our congregations may be a little bit wearisome if all we're doing as pastors is feeding them sawbriars. Amen? So I see a couple of areas here. And, and since I'm a pastor, I'm going to move on this quick. He says that the responsibilities to the shepherd that we must be aware. Verse 12, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. You may not like that. And admonish you. That means that they warn you. Know them that are over you. Now, I realize that your pastor is not an open book. I know that you wish that he was, but I don't go post on Facebook how I feel every day. You wouldn't want to read it. You wouldn't be interested in it. I don't want to tell you how I, my opinion on this and my idea on that. Pastor don't need to be an open book on stuff like that. But you should have an idea about his burden, about his duties, about his delights, about his desires, about his walk and his following with the Lord. Amen. Can I read out of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 about the pastor's office? I'm not necessarily, I'm just, tonight if you're listening online and, and congregation listening, you realize that there are pastors all across the world. Many pastors get discouraged. There may be somebody that tunes in tonight to listen to what Preacher Darren has to say about the relationship that a church should have with its pastor. One time somebody called me and said, I feel like I need some advice from you, Preacher Darren. Bethel's the model church. I thought, model of what? Model of good or model of bad? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule with, that, that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word, in the word and doctrine. Preacher, you need to be laboring in the word of God. Your job is to study. I know everybody thinks your job's to call them. Everybody thinks your job's to come see them. I know that. That's what they think. And I, and I appreciate doing all that. That's great. But your job, they don't need a book report on how everybody's doing. It's good to give a prayer list, but they don't need to hear about Aunt Bessie and, and Uncle Ed. They need to hear the Word of God. And I'm challenging you to labor in the Word of God. These folks have labored all week 
to get a tithe to bring to the house of God. You labor in the word as they labor at work. You labor in the doctrine. Preach to them the word of God. Not just give them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Give them a steak, amen. And nowadays they say the prices of steak have gone up. Well, the Bible says, let that elder that's preaching be worthy of double honor. You need to be aware, amen. Look in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Very clear. You need to remember them. You need to follow them as they follow the Lord. Here's a verse people don't like. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves like a sheep does to its shepherd. If that shepherd loves the sheep, the sheep know it. And they submit themselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Didn't say unprofitable for him. It's unprofitable for you. If you're giving the preacher a hard time, it's probably going to be unprofitable for you. Amen? Why? They're burdened. They're up in the night. They're giving account for your soul. You'll give an account for you, and your preacher will give an account for what he preached to you. Amen? We need to be aware. Now go back to our text. We need to be aware. We need to be appreciative. In chapter 5 again, verse number 13. To esteem them very, is the word lowly, weakly, or is it highly? You esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Well, all the preacher does is just get up there and yell at everybody. All right, you come do it. Let's see how successful you are. Try to look at your face, the one I look to, and try to preach the love of God and the word of God to people that really don't even want to be here. I'm telling you, y'all, it'd make a real difference if you'd amen your preacher down It'd make a real difference if you'd nod your head at your preacher and say, yeah, I like it. That's good, amen. It'd be a blessing to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. But it's more than just preaching. I mean, you realize administratively, spend hours and hours and hours. You don't get $2 million loans on a handshake. There's hours and hours of preparation and reports and things you put together. Well, that's why we pay our treasure. Go talk to your church. They're not the ones doing that. Your pastor, administrative wife, trying to lead, trying to secure what we need. What about time of advising, counseling, praying? Oh, my praying. Studying, seeking the face of God. Sunday night was such a great service, didn't even get to preach. Somebody said, it must be nice not to have to preach tonight. Well, number one, I don't have to preach, I get to. And number two, a service like that wears me out more than it does if I'm preaching. Amen? Because I was on sensory, spiritual overload with what was going on. And God just rung me out. 
two or three times in that service, and it was fabulous. I'm talking about not just preaching, but praying and studying the Word of God. You realize there can be 8 to 20 hours behind a 30-minute message? It's the truth, and just the labor of it and the load of it, it'll blow your mind. Jonathan Edwards pastored his church for 23 years. He preached sinners in the hands of an, of an, of an angry God. And hundreds of thousands of people got saved. But after 23 years, his own church kicked him out. Because he said, you ought to be saved before you take the Lord's Supper. And a bunch of infidels, I said infidels, amen, in the church, kicked him out because that was his belief. Well, I will say I believe it too. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever. I've got his picture up in my office now. Did you know of the Baptist Union that his church was a part of? They kicked him out, and his assistant pastor gave the final vote to kick him out at the end of his ministry because they believed that he was too straight in his doctrine. Give me a preacher like that. I'm telling you, if you can't listen to Spurgeon and you can't listen to Jonathan Edwards, why, you're not going to listen to Jesus. Jesus is straighter than Spurgeon. Jesus is, well, he's preaching Jesus. I'm just telling you, you ought to appreciate your preacher who will preach it like it is, whether, it's, whether you like it or not. I appreciate the man of God who was faithful to get in the pulpit and preach to me the word of God. It helped me. Grandma said it helped me. She, he got on my toes, but he is aiming for my heart. I needed correction, and I appreciate the encouragement even when corrected. Not only appreciative, but we ought to be agreeable. Look at verse 13. And be at peace. Among yourselves, the great, listen, the shepherd and the sheep ought to have peace. They both have roles to play. Let's just be at peace and get along. Amen. A church is not going to survive well with division and discord and disunity going on. Amen. We've all seen and been part of a service where something like that had happened. I don't want that. Amen. I want peace. I want you to be at peace among yourselves. The greatest gift you'll ever give your pastor is to be at peace among yourselves. One time a preacher friend of mine had gone to a church to, to, to he was the visiting preacher that day and he didn't sit on the front row he kind of sat back in the congregation and there's in a big fight choir leader against some of the deacons and then some of the Sunday school teachers got involved and bickering back and forth and finally the superintendent got up and said well I'm just going to go ahead and let the preacher preach and he said sir would you come on up and the preacher came up and he bowed his head he said, Lord, I've never been here before, and after this morning, I'm doubting whether you've ever been here before. The pastor and the music director weren't getting along, so the preacher preached on commitment and how we should dedicate our lives for service. The choir director got up and sung, I shall not be moved. The next Sunday, the preacher got up and preached on how we ought to gladly give unto the work of the Lord, and the choir director led Jesus paid it all. The preacher got up and preached about gossiping and how we ought to watch our tongues. The choir director led, I love to tell the stories. The preacher was aggravated and he told the congregation the next week, he said, I'm considering resigning. And the choir leader led the song, Oh, why not tonight? So the next Sunday, the preacher quit. He resigned. He said, the Lord led me here and the Lord Jesus has taken me away. And the choir leader got up and dismissed with the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 
We ought to have a relationship between the pulpit and the pew. And we ought to all get under the load and carry the burden together. Number two, there's responsibilities to the saints. Look with me in verse number 14. Now we exhort you, that's encouragement, not just comfort, that's encouragement. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. You can preach a whole message on each one of these imperatives. But number two, we have responsibilities to the saints. Let's just break it down. The first one, warn the unruly. God, give me a little thought here. It's correct the wayward. These will all have a C and a W. It's correct the wayward. Warn the unruly. What does it mean to warn somebody biblically? It's to put them in mind of a certain truth or a biblical principle. It's to caution someone about their actions or about their conduct. It's to admonish them and fully reprimand them as need be. Who is it that's being fully reprimanded? The unruly, the disorderly, those that are out of step with Almighty God. Do you know it's a military term? That if a soldier who has disobeyed orders, he's going to be corrected with sternness. In Acts chapter 20 verse 31, Paul gave a clear warning to the Ephesian believers. He said, remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone day and night with tears. To the Corinthian church, he said in 1 Corinthians 4.14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. To the Colossian church, Colossians 1.28, he said, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. To the church at Thessalonica, now we exhort you, brethren, Warn them that are unruly. Four congregations, four warnings. We need to admonish carefully. Not as if you're better than others or more holy or more superior, but you're to caution them meekly with a humble, lowly spirit. Galatians 6.1, written by Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness or meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what? The, here's the idea. We need to love the people enough to warn them. I'm glad I was around a preacher who loved me enough to warn me. It would have been easy for him to say, I'm not going to go into that. That might hurt their feelings. I'll take higher ground. No, he loved me enough to warn me. Hey, mama, hey, daddy, do you love your children enough to warn them? Then your preacher ought to love you enough to warn you. Your shepherd ought to love the sheep enough to warn them. Here's another CW. We ought to comfort the worried. Verse 14, comfort the feeble-minded. The word comfort is the word parakalesis. Feeble-minded, oligopsuhas. It literally means encourage the discouraged. I preached the whole message right here one time. Encourage the discouraged. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 speaks of the God of all comfort. Not just comfort like we say, oh, I just want to hold you. It means encouragement. You look like tonight you could use a word of encouragement. Amen. Do I look like I could use a word of encouragement? Absolutely. We need to learn to encourage one another. You know who the minister of discouragement is? The devil. And discouragement is the main cause of failure. The devil's favorite thing to do is to sow the seed of discouragement. And if he can get discouragement into a person's life, he can get to almost anything else in their life. Seeds of discouragement begin to sprout, and they'll sprout anywhere except for in the heart of a grateful person or except for in the heart of someone who is an encourager. And rarely will you see that person who's grateful, that's thankful, and that person who's an encourager, you'll rarely see them get discouraged. In the book of Acts, we won't turn there, but in chapter 4, we meet a man, a man by the name of Joseph. But the Bible said his name is, surname is Barnabas. It means encouragement. Who called him that? The disciples. Our tendency is to criticize and to find fault. And some of us do it kind of in a sideways kind of a way. Make a little comment just to get our point across. Maybe they ought to make a sideways comment to you and see how you feel. It'll discourage you. You'll get upset. But who made you the judge to make a sideways comment? Some people, I'm telling you that I've been around, I wouldn't let them lead us in silent prayer. I almost have said, listen, why don't you come up and lead us in a word of discouragement? Some people's idea of help is to give a drink of water to someone who's already drowning. And we think that's help. We need someone who's bona fide encouraging. In the day and age in which we live, I want to be around a preacher that's encouraging. I want to be around people. I want to be around people that if they're discouraged, that I can encourage them. There's a little lady from back where my mom and daddy grew up. She never said anything unkind about anybody. I mean, think of in your life, who can you think of that didn't have anything unkind to ever say? This lady, there was somebody died in the community, and man, I'm telling you, they were just not a good example of a good life to live. And when she came in, everybody thought, what's she going to say about him? And she said, well, I'll tell you this, youngins, he's the best whistler I ever heard. She found something good to say. Can you find something good to say to people? Or do you always have to get your point and your thought and your opinion across to be heard? You realize that tonight every one of you have a silver box with a bow on top of it? It's your words. What, are you, what words are you giving, Brother Jerry? What words are you giving, Brother Tony? That's the present you're giving them. Are you giving them a box of rocks? Are you giving them coal? Are you giving them words of encouragement? I think about Sister Maxine right here at our church. Sister Maxine, she had all kinds of issues, all kinds of sickness. But every time I went to see that lady, she always gave me a word of encouragement. And when I preached her funeral, I preached on a silver box with a bow on top. And I challenged the people that were there to learn to be an encouragement. I need to learn to take my own advice, my own preaching, amen. 
We need to learn to be an encouragement. Okay, there's another one here. It says support the weak. Here's another CW. Care for the weekly. Support the weak. It may, the word is asthenes. It's where we get the word anesthesia. Anesthesia. Why do you get anesthesia? Because you've got sickness. Some physical malady. Some weakness. Some debilitation. Paul in the epistles write about people who are weak in the flesh. He writes about people who are weak in the spirit. But I know this. My Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were yet without strength. Christ in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Whoo! You may say, Preacher Darren, I'm going to be there to support the weak. The greatest support of someone weak is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we had no strength, he gave his life for us. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Every week when you come to church here, whether it's a Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, you're sitting down beside someone on your sex and pews around you or maybe you yourself, you've been battered by a storm that very week. Amen? And they cannot care for themselves and you need to be there for them. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What about someone weak in the faith? Romans chapter 14 verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive you but not to doubtful disputations. What does that mean? The faith is scriptures. There are people that are not grounded in the scriptures, the body of truth. It is our job to teach them, to edify them, to build them up, to teach them the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. You realize that everybody's not as smart as you are. Not everybody's been in church as long as you have. When the preacher gets up to preach about Joshua walking around the Jericho walls again. Don't cut him off and say, I already know this story. You ought to get behind him and say amen because there was a time when you didn't know and everybody else did know and you found out because somebody preached it again and again and again. If it's all right to sing Amazing Grace three times a week, it's okay to preach and preach and preach on Joshua walking around the Jericho walls. Amen. Support, what does that mean? It means to uphold. We have three, three sturdy supports. One of them is our covenant. What is our covenant? The Word of God. It's God's covenant with you and with me, filled with His great exceeding promises. What about our comforter? I want to read out of John chapter 14 about our comforter. What a support system we have with Him. John 14 verse 26 but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He is our Comforter. We have the covenant of the Word of God. We have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know what's another one? The church. We are to be a supporter of those that are weak around us. The Bible says in Job 4.3, Job strengthened the weak hands. Paul wrote in Acts 20 verse 35, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Luke 22 verses 31 through 34, 
Jesus told Simon, 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 the devil, oh, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When you are weak, I pray for strength. What about the good Samaritan to the man who was on the side of the road, robbed, left for dead, and the Levite and the priest passed by on the other side. But the good Samaritan, seeing that one that was weak, came in, bound up his wounds, set him on his own beast, took him back to the inn and the innkeeper and said, here's two pence, and if he owes you more, I'll pay the rest when I come again. Hey, Jesus is coming again. He says, be patient towards all men. Here's another CW. Continue with the wearisome. You know, it's our custom nowadays to get everything quick at the push of a button. Instant meals from a microwave. Just go in there and punch a button. Doop, doop, doop. Wait 30 seconds and presto, you've got a complete dinner. You get instant coffee from your Keurig. You get instant entertainment from the touch of your button on your TV remote control. Your car windows. Used to you had to roll them down. But now you just hit a button. Zoop, they just go right down. We're so lazy we can't even roll down our car windows anymore. We, uh, we can't even lock the doors. It took this and this to lock both sides of the door. But now we've got a little button, amen, so we can do it instantly. You go up to the ATM and you put in a little card and punch in your PIN number, you get instant cash from your ATM. On your cell phones, you got instant messenger and you get instant messages just like that. You want instant weather reports, apps on your telephone, instant anything. I could go on and on and on. As a result of all the things we have that are instant, we're more impatient than we've ever been before. And all these instant things has made us to be impatient people. Hurry, preacher! Why are you impatient? I need to get home, preacher! Oh, boy. We live in a culture of instant gratification. We have to have just everything right now. And when we have a problem, we take it to God, and we believe God ought to take care of it instantaneously. He could, but sometimes he wants you to wait. The great preacher Philip Brooks, he was preaching. And uh, everybody knew him for his patience, but one day in his office, he was just back and forth. Back and forth, and somebody had come to see him, and, and he was just pacing. And somebody said, Preacher, well, I've never seen you so impatient. I've never seen you so upset. What's the trouble, Preacher Brooks? He said, The trouble is, I'm in a hurry, and God is not. You ever felt that way? You're in a hurry. You want an answer. You need to know now. I demand satisfaction. Maybe God knows that going through a little trouble will be that which perfects you, and that which helps you in the long run. We certainly need help in the area of being patient towards all men. I want to read out of the book of James, chapter 5. I want you to turn there, the book of James, chapter 5, speaking of the Lord's return. James, chapter 5, and verse 7, the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Macro through mayo is a word. That means hold on to your passions. Get control of yourself for a long endurance of time if need be. We need to be patient 
in the trials of life. In James' day, the poor were being robbed of fair wages by the government. And the poor faced social injustice, persecution. The poor were under great, great pressure, suffering and abuse. And what did he tell them? Be patient, therefore, brethren. Why, look at it. It's so good. Look at verse 8. Be ye also patient. There it is again. Establish your hearts. That means build a wall of protection that keeps the devil out and keeps you in. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Youngins, it's closer than we think. Amen? I didn't see this, but I do now. Hold your place here. Go back to our text. Thank you, Lord. Go back to our text. Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. That's why, preacher Darren, I think if things ought to be even. If they do it to me, I'm going to do it back. I'm going to get a leg up on Listen, if somebody treated you bad and you treat them bad in return, if you were up here and they were down there, they then now you're down there. You didn't pull them up, they pulled you down. Brother Jerry, come here. Brother Jerry, come here. I want you to come up here on the platform. Come up here on the platform. Now, now wait a minute. I'm going to help you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. How was hard to get him up there. But watch this. I sure didn't have no trouble pulling him down. Thank you, Brother Jerry. You think you're going to be able to boost people up? It's harder than you think. But you sure can tear them down pretty quick. Thank you, Jerry. We need to see that illustration. That's why we shouldn't be unequally yoked. You think, well, I'll, I'm, 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 in a, I'm a saved person and they're lost and, and, and I'm going I'm to make sure to pull them up. More than likely, they're going to pull you down. And when somebody does you wrong, you go to get even with them, it's pulling you down. You know what my Bible says? Vengeance. Belongs unto the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Somebody does you wrong, turn it over to God. Amen? I wish I had the offering plates right now, but what's this? This is our little offering plates we're using right now because of COVID. Right? So, if it's being, being passed around, right, and I put my hand in there to take out, I've stolen from the church. And when somebody does you wrong, God says, vengeance is mine. And if you go to take out and try to take care of it yourself, you've stolen from God. You've, you better watch who you're stealing from. It's, it's one thing to, to steal from the preacher. It's, it's one thing to steal from your brother. It's one thing. But if you steal from God, how much greater is that? Well, I just leave one sin's all the same. You better watch who you're stealing from. I'm telling you, and, and, and I caught this, I caught this in James chapter 5, where we were. Let's go back there. Let's go back. Here's our CW. Confront the wrong. Just confront it. You know who's in the wrong? You confront yourself. Before you take care of this, don't render evil for evil. Do good to people. Now look with me. Verse 9. James 5, 9. I just saw this. Grudge not one against another. What does that mean? Stanazo. It's under pressure. That, that's grudging. Preacher, I ain't following you. 
is to complain. It's to grumble. It's to murmur. It means that you get filled with resentment. You have a grudge towards one another. I'm telling you, that grudge that you have is rendering evil one to another. The complaining that we do today, the backbiting, and, and the, I'm telling you, it's not pleasing to God. Now, why is Paul writing this? Because of their deficiencies? Because he knows something? Preacher Darren, why are you preaching this? Well, if you remember many weeks back, I said we're going to start preaching through 1 Thessalonians. A church prepared for the second coming. What's this got to do with prepared for the second coming? Oh, you don't know? God wants you to get and be a better person. He wants you to get filled with the Holy Ghost. He wants you to put these things to practice in your life and to be a blessing, amen, to other people. Listen, that, that mm, I just want to stay right here. Back to James. I thought I read that. Look at it again, James chapter 5. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Not lest they. You thought it said lest they be condemned. Oh, it's not they. It's you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. He hears what you're saying. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He saw your Facebook post trying to tear everybody down. Mm -mm -mm. Well, I've got another point. I want to try to get to it. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm trying to check the time. I don't want to keep you too long. I, I don't want to bore you. But we have a responsibility to the shepherd. It's family. We have a responsibility to the saints. Family. And we have a responsibility to ourselves. Now look with me in verse 16. Rejoice evermore. You know what y'all to do? Shout now. Rejoice all the time. From now, throughout all eternity. Rejoice. I'm telling you, if you can't rejoice in here, you're definitely probably not going to rejoice out there. If you can't rejoice in here with your brothers and sisters, you're not going to get out there and rejoice in the world. You're going to have trouble. Rejoice evermore. What does that mean? Never lose the spirit of praise. Your attitude is important. Before, look at the next verse. Pray without ceasing. Before you pray without ceasing, you need to have an attitude of praise. When you pray, the first thing you need to do is you need to confess your sins to God. And then you need to take a little time praising Him. Praising Him for forgiving you. Praising Him because He's God. Well, preacher, I'm not going to praise Him for what He's done. I'm just going to praise Him for who He is. You need to praise Him for both. Because of who He is, and if He hadn't done what He's done, you wouldn't have anything to praise Him for. You'd still be lost. So it's both. Amen. Well, rejoicing helps you pray better. If you pray in a defeated spirit, it affects your, it bothers your effectiveness at the throne of grace. So I want to turn to the joy epistle. What, what is the joy epistle? Philippians. Philippians, turn there. That's the joy epistle. Man, Paul is all the time in this epistle encouraging and rejoicing. Look at verse number four. He's going to give you, Philippians 4, 4, he's going to give you what's called an imperative mood verb. Imperative, what's this? Rejoice in the Lord 
When? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. You watch some commercials on TV. You can buy such and such for $19.95 and just when you thought it was over. But wait, there's more. If you'll send it a little bit more, you'll get two of them. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. But wait, there's more. Again, I say, rejoice. Just when you get tired of rejoicing, square it. Do it even more. You know who hates it? The devil. You know who hates it? The world. You know who hates it? Your flesh. It does not want to take time to rejoice. If you're not careful, the thief will steal your joy. And one of the ways he does it is unthankfulness, ingratitude. I want to say, verse number 11, this chapter 4 of Philippians. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What about that? Preacher, what can I rejoice in? I don't have anything to, to rejoice in. A man came to me one time said, I don't have anything to rejoice in. I don't have anything to live for. I said, I'm sorry to hear that your wife passed. He said, she's still alive. I said, I'm sorry to hear that your children died. They're still alive. I'm sorry to hear that your children are sick. They're very well. I'm sorry to hear the bad news about your grandchildren. My grandchildren are fine. Leave them out of this. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your job. I still have a job. I'm sorry to hear that your house burned down. I still have a home. I'm sorry to hear, I'm sorry to hear that you wrecked your car. I'm sorry to hear that your health is gone. All those things are fine. I'm sorry to hear that God's not on the throne. I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation. I'm sorry to hear that your church is disbanded. I'm sorry. None of those things have happened. I said, bless God, you've got a lot to shout about. You have more to rejoice about than you think you do. You can rejoice in the pardon of God. Has he forgiven your sins? Woo! That's enough to shout about from now until all of eternity. What about the presence of the Lord? Has he been with you lately? Lord God, he is here Sunday night, and he's here again tonight. I can rejoice in the presence of the Lord because the Bible said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And when he's around, we ought to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. What about his provision? Has he fed you today? Or was you out standing on the street corner holding a sign that says, we'll not work for food? Huh? I'm telling you down at the Walmart down yonder. Not here, not the one in our town, but just down the road. There was a man standing out with a sign that said, we'll work for food. And somebody went and got him an application from Walmart and handed it to him and said, if you'll just go up the road and turn this in, fill it out, you'll have a job, you'll have plenty to eat. He ripped it up and got mad and walked off. I have never seen a bird with a sign around its neck that says, we'll chirp for food. God takes care of them three squares a day. And they chirp, chirp, cheer up, cheer up, cheer up, and praise him every day. Has God fed you today? Has God clothed you today? Has God given you his air to breathe? Has God given you liberty and freedom and health and let you enjoy some things? God's been good to us. For a roof over our head, shoes on our feet, clothes on our back, food in our belly, food in our pantry, a car to drive. Thank God for a good family. Praise his holy name. We've got something to shout about tonight. For the provision of Almighty God. What about his peace? What about the peace of God? 
Lord, remember when I was a sinner, I was worried absolutely to death. I was stressed. I was freaking out. I was having a spiritual heart attack. Now I'm telling you, maybe there's some night you're worried. How am I going to pay the bill? You're worried about your health. What's the report going to come back? You're worried about what's going to happen on your job. Honey, I have news for you. When you are you saved? Then you've already gave him the most important thing, your soul. Are you trusting him with it? If he'd save your soul, honey, he's going to take care of your needs. He's your God. He's going to provide for you. And I can rejoice in the provision of God. That's why I pray before I eat the snack crackers. Amen. Amen. I thank God for his provision. What about his promises? He said, one day's coming to get us, Brother Bob. Amen. Amen. He said, I'll come get you that you may be where I am. I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. I don't even know how to get there. But bless God, he said he's coming. I can shout and rejoice tonight in the promises of Almighty God. Every single one of them are true. Mm. Well, there's so much more to preach. But responsibilities of self, they all start with a CS. The first one, celebrate salvation. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. We had 24 hours of prayer here at the church. I came in here to start the night at 6 o'clock, stayed here, I think somewhere around 9, and as I prayed, most of my praying was just confessing my sins, telling God how weak and terrible I was, just naming this and naming that. You may say, preacher, I can't believe you're so sinful. Honey, I am. There's another fellow came to the altar one time. He said, Lord, I got cobwebs. Next time he came to church, Lord, I got cobwebs. Next time he came to church, Lord, I got cobwebs. Lord, I got cobwebs here and cobwebs there. God, please help me. He's just confi- And finally, about 9 o'clock, somebody come and hit me in the back and said, well, forget, the, forget the cobwebs, kill the spider. Amen. And when God killed the spider that night, amen, woo, I went home with victory. I laid back in my house and prayed about 1 o'clock in the morning. And when I came back down here the next day at noon, man, I came in with a dip. There's a different atmosphere in this place. And the Holy Ghost for six hours met us. I'm telling you, right back there, when I heard the Lord come by in mercy, I banged my head on the top of the, on the underside of the pew. And the Lord came by. And I don't even know how many people was here. But I have never, ever had such a time in this church in my entire life. It was unbelievable. There's some of you, I think, Brother Bob, maybe, there's some people here, part, a part of that, amen. I'm telling you, God just slung us out in the glory, amen. It was unreal. Amen. I'm telling you, if we pray and seek God's face, and get, we just got into a time where we're, we weren't even asking him for nothing. Some of you think praying is just asking him, asking him. We weren't asking him for nothing. We were just rejoicing in him. Six hours of rejoicing. Somewhere around 5.30, I caught myself over here up underneath this, up underneath this prayer bench here, and I was the sweat was pouring off me. I had run, I had crawled, I had cried. I was completely wrung out. But what a blessing. I don't have time to preach the rest of this. Y'all stand to your feet. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go in the quit right there. I just want to tell you, we have a relationship one with another and we all collectively have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And our job, your job for self is to celebrate your salvation and rejoice. 
This is a poor illustration. When we were in the old building, it had snowed about 10 inches. And we came up, we, we was going to have church, and there was 15, 20 people come. Some people crazy about Jesus, I guess. And they come. And we was typically having about 180, 195 people about them times. And uh, we had 15, 20 people. And Luke, Luke was just a little feller, maybe four, five, six years old, maybe five, I'm going to say four or five. He looked at me and said, Dad, where's all the people? Now he expected in a 10-inch snowstorm that everybody ought to be here. And it, he, here's what he thought, that all the other churches had called off and everybody would come here. Because we was trying to have it. That's what he thought. That's what you think when you're four or five years old. He couldn't see a reason why. He was like, bless God, we're alive, let's go. And I said, son, people can't get out. It's a dangerous time. And I, I'm not even hurt at them for not coming. In fact, I think I'm crazy for going myself. I need my head examined. And he looked at me and said, Dad, this is, this is the point. He said, Dad, I get it. This is not just church. This is practice church. In the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. God gave that boy wisdom at the age of four or five years old to say, Dad, do you realize that every time we gather, this is just practice, church. One day, when we get yonder, we're going to have the real deal. And we'll shout and rejoice for all of eternity, and I will have a body that gets tired. Amen. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, you have encouraged us by these imperatives. Lord, these imperatives are commands, and the flesh doesn't like to be told what it's supposed to do. It doesn't like to bow down to authority. It doesn't like to have someone to rule over it. The flesh doesn't like it. But God, the Spirit has seen that when God is ruling in our lives and intervening, that there's perfect peace and there's blessings to be had for eternity. Lord, help us to see then that you have taken these imperatives, God, and you have merited them. You, you, there's merit to these imperatives, God. Help us to see that. Lord, I thank you for each one gathered tonight. May they have been encouraged, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say,